are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28, turn please in your Bible. My favorite verse in the Word of God, Romans 8.28. I want to speak now the driving force in your life. The driving force in your life. I want you to think with me. And uh, just let the Word of God speak to your heart. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them will the call according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be it transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. 3, 14 and 15. Brethren, I count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the driving force in your life. Watch, please. The Apostle Paul had a driving force in his life. Think of that. There was something that sent him on from night to day, year by year, until the Lord took him home. And this man with a driving force, not to make money, not to be famous, not to be a big politician, that wasn't it. Not to have power over certain ones. No, that wasn't it. But Paul had a driving force. Now, what was the driving force in the life of the Apostle Paul? The driving force that sent him on night and day. Number one, to please God. He wanted to please the Lord. And he did. And he wanted to. And you should say the same thing. And all you're doing here, your work, your building, everything is to please God. And this is what Paul had. And this is a driving force in his life. Secondly, to make Christ known to a lost and dying world. That was in his heart. I want others to know. And he kept on going, going, going. He could have stopped in one place. But he didn't. He went on from country to country, town to town, going and going and going, and preaching and witnessing and winning people. Again, a driving force to represent Christ properly in his life. He said, Christ liveth in me. And he wanted to represent Christ in his life. And that was a driving force of his. Then again, a driving force to endure the sufferings and heartaches without complaint. He said to young Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And Paul had that in his life. Then again, a driving force to do the will of God to the end of his life. The will of God. A driving force. Now, he was saying, ready to be offered the time of departure of the hand. Now, wait a minute. This is for Paul, the driving force in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, you should have the same in your life. Are you listening? These young men, young women, boys, girls, men and women, older people, all of you, and in my life, and I can bless you, I've got a driving force, a driving force that sends me on and keeps me going, keeps me thinking, keeps me praying, keeps me working, and keeps me going until the Lord takes me home or until the Lord comes. But I want that driving force. Now, many people in the world have a driving force. Some people want to be big in politics. And they aim for that. They sell everything. Their reputation, their life, their talents, they give it all. Doesn't matter being a big shot in the political world. And many of them attain that, of course, and are big in their, in their field. But sometimes selfishly. Again, a driving force to make money. Some people want that. That's a driving force that sends them on. The richest man in the world today, 
is a man living up in Michigan. He's worth $8 billion, dollars. Think of it. And still goes to work every day. He's a working man. And he works, but he makes money and made money. That's been the driving force of his life. Again, the driving force in education. Some people want degrees. And they get one after the other. Doctors, degrees, and on and on. And they keep on going. And that's all right for some people. And they have a driving force. A driving force in business to make money. To be a, a, a top official. To, to make a, a big corporation. And they like that. And that's what they're after all of the time. Then a driving force in leadership. And some had that. Winston, uh, Winston Churchill had that. And he wanted to be the, the Prime Minister of England, and he became so, and was a famous man and a good man in many, many ways. But that was a driving force. Then a driving force to be popular. That's in Hollywood. That's around the world. People want to be popular. Now, wait a minute. I want you to think about your life. What should be the driving force in your life? Now, think of it. There's something that sends you on. Now, if you don't have it, then I want you to get it tonight. If you say, I'm not sure, I want you to be sure about it. And let God speak your heart until you know there's something that God wants you to do with your life. And there's a faithfulness and a, and a, respons- a responsibility of position that you want to uh, attain and acquire and continue until the end of your day. Now, what's the driving force in your life? Number one, it should be with all of us to manifest Christ in our lives. That ought to be the driving force uh, about everything else. We need to shine. Let your light so shine before men. And we're to be shining for the glory of God. And that should be a driving force in your with your life and with mine. To let people see Jesus in you. And they don't see it very much in this world of ours. And let this be a driving force. Young men, young women, mothers and dads, grandparents, uh, whatever you are. You let the Lord be that in you. And they I want to show forth Christ in my life. Let them see Jesus in me. I, I, in visiting a man, unsaved man in Chattanooga, and uh, I dealt with him very carefully, word of God in my hand, and uh, we read, and I, I prayed, and he said, no, I'm not interested, just not interested at in all in being, being Christian. And uh, I started to leave, and I got to the door. This man stopped me. He said, uh, Dr. Robertson, it would be refreshing to see one person live for Christ. His wife belonged to our church. Had two children, they belonged to our church professing Christians. But he said, it would be refreshing to see one person live for Christ. Wait a minute, a lot of folks are saying that. And you need to say, I'm going to live for Christ. I want to manifest Christ in my life. I want to so live every hour, every day, that others see Christ in me. And I was on the door one day in Chattanooga. The lady came to the door. I said, ma'am, I understand you're not going to church. And uh, uh, someone told me about you. I want to come out to see you. And I said, could I told you? He said, yes. I went in the, in the room. I said, ma'am, are you saved? Oh, yes, I'm a child of God. I know I'm born again. Well, I said, wonderful. But I understand you don't go to church at all. I said, no, I don't go anywhere. I'm not going to anybody's church. Well, I said, do you tell me why? I said, yes, sir. She said, I played the piano in my church for 20 years. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every service I played the piano for 20 years. After 20 years, some people began to criticize my playing. And she said, I heard about it. I quit. I quit churches forever. I'm never going inside of another one as long as I live. And I guess she kept it up. I never heard of her going to a church. Couldn't get her to come to Ireland. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. She wasn't manifesting Christ in her life. She was failing to show forth Christ in her life. And you need to watch that. Again, the driving force in your life should be to make Christ known to the whole world. I want people to know Christ overseas, around the world, in Japan, in Africa, in India, in China, everywhere, in South America, everywhere. I want people to know Christ. And that's what drove the apostle on. 
And we should have the same drive in our lives to give our money, to do what we're doing, to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth that people might hear and know and be saved and have an opportunity of knowing Christ. And we have that driving force. Then the driving force should alert us to be ready for the accounting day. Listen to this. Romans fourteen twelve. So whenever one of us shall give account of himself to God... Again, Romans 14, 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I've got to stand. You've got to stand there. You've got to give an account. And that's what, that's coming. Now, that needs to drive you on. No time for a vacation. No time to take off. No time to say, I'm not going to do it. No time to give up. But you go ahead. Because one day you stand before Him. And one day you give an account of yourself unto God. Now, these are the things that should put the driving force in your life. But I've got more to say. Let me examine the matter just for a moment. What brings about the driving force? I, I think you need to see what makes something in us that sends us with a driving force to the world and out to do the work of God. What is it? Number one, I put down the word gratitude. Gratitude. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift, said Paul. And that was driving him on. He was saved, born again. And he said, I want to go on. Gratitude in his heart. Gratitude for salvation. Are you grateful for your salvation? I, I found just this one thing, and I spoke to a dear pastor about it. Make more of people getting saved. Make more of people being baptized. Make more of people uniting with the church. Make more of that. Uh, give names. To, uh, give a name. Let people rejoice about it. Praise God for it. Now, thank God for your salvation. That's the greatest thing that happened to you, and you need to rejoice in it. And praise God for all of it. Hello, meeting up north near Chicago. Beautiful church. Preached my heart out one day and gave an invitation. Eleven people came forward accepting Christ as Savior. I dealt with some of them and I was so happy to see them. Born again. I said, you folks line up here at the front, if you will. And let's come and shake hands with them. And uh, they lined up there. And I was so happy. I said to the audience, I said, this is a, a wonderful hour. Uh, come and shake hands with these new converts. And I stepped back. When I did, the pastor walked up. He said, uh, if you don't mind, people, you can go back to your seats. I woke up quickly. I said, Pastor, wait a minute. They just got saved. Let's rejoice. Let's praise God for it. He said, no, no, we don't do it that way here. He said, we go to the homes on the next week and examine them. I send my deacons out. I think I checked on the deacons too. And he said, we send our people to talk to them. I said, wait a minute. Didn't do that in the day of Pentecost. 3,000 got saved and baptized the same day. And I went on and told the other story. I said, I didn't do it. He said, I don't care about that. That's the way we do it here. Now, wait a minute. You need to come with gratitude for salvation and praise God for saving a little boy, a little girl, a man or woman, a young or old, you're rejoicing. Then gratitude for the call of God. The call of God. God calls us. Amazing the call of God. At 18, God called me. It scared me after this, I said this morning. And uh, I, I didn't know what I could do, but I said, Lord, I'll do my best for all of my days. I've been grateful for the call of God. Oh, my, how wonderful to feel that God put His hand out upon me and touched me and said, I want you in my ministry. And I said, Lord, I'll do this for the rest of my days. And gratitude. Then gratitude for His guidance. He said, I will guide thee with mine eye. And He will guide you. Praise God. He'll show you what to do, where to go, what to say. If you let Him have His way, He will guide you every step of the way. And you can rejoice in that. Then gratitude for His provision for your need. And He does provide. And will provide all of it. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. He'll supply every need. He provides. You'll be a tither, faithful tither. And give and give and go beyond the tithe. And keep on giving and rejoice on And my dear friend, you can't give too much. 
The more you give, more God will bless you. And you can't give too much. And give and rejoice in all of it. I began preaching back there in 1930. Went to my first church in Memphis, Tennessee. They paid me $50 a month. I said, we just had a month. I had a total salary. Old church, beautiful old building. Uh, half a dozen people there. And I began. And uh, I got a room, you see, in, in, in Memphis. A little room in the top of a big house. A, a noble place up in the attic. And uh, did cost but a few pennies. I ate my meals of hamburger stand down the street. Hamburger, nickel apiece. What a day that was. A nickel apiece. I'm not joking. And I'd eat the hamburgers. And I lived on that. Lived that little room up there. I had a rough time. I never complained. But I said, Lord, this is not going to be easy. And I prayed about the matter. And I saw after a while I wouldn't make it. Couldn't make it on 50 a month. And so I got down and prayed. And the Lord, take care of this if you will. And one morning got out of bed. And walked over to the door of that little attic room. And under the door was sitting a, a white envelope. And... Uh, I reached over and picked it up and sealed. Why don't nothing on it at all? I stepped out in the hallway of that big house and I said, I found this under my door. Anybody, anybody lose this? Not a word was said. Well, I said, Lord, it must belong to me. I went back in the room and opened up. Inside was a dollar bill, a whole dollar. I went down and ate two more hamburgers. I said, this is heaven. I bought another gallon of gas, gasoline, 20 cents a gallon back in that day. And uh, I said, man, this is it, a whole dollar. And uh, I went on my way. But I got a thing later. I said, man, if that happened one time, it might happen again. And uh, I tried to stay awake there watching to see if it would come out of that door. But I didn't. I went sound asleep. Next morning I got up. There's a dollar bill on the door. A dollar. So I said, well, I'll not do anything about it. And I'll let it see. Nineteen mornings went by. Every morning for nineteen mornings I picked up a dollar bill. Every day. Every day. I said, now i got to find out who's doing it. i got to thank him. I put a little now that touch that door, we'll knock the trap over, we'll waken me, I'll jump up and see if put the money on the door. And I fixed the trap just right and went to bed. Around two in the morning, her rustings, that little trap fell and hit the floor. I jumped out of the bed and jerked it open. And when I did, at the door stood a little lady, past 75 years of age, and it was an envelope in her hand, getting ready to put it on the door. And when I jerked it over, scared her half dead, scared me half deaf too. And she straightened up and I straightened up and, and she said, son, here's your money. If you ever tell a soul, never give you another penny. I said, lady, don't worry. I'll never tell a soul if that's what it is. And she handed me the dollar. Now, who was the lady? The lady was Mrs. Kate Barker, the wife of the president of the University of Kentucky. Think of that. She heard about my coming from Louisville. Her husband had died. She moved to Memphis with her sister and said, that boy needs help. She could tell it. He needs help. She began putting a dollar on the door, a dollar on the door, and did this over 19 more and kept on helping me for a long, long time. Wait a minute. I'm illustrating something. You let God have His way with you. God will take care of you, no matter who you are and where you are. And be grateful for His provision for your every need. Now, put down the word gratitude, if you will. There's another word that will help you to, to know the will of God and the power of God in your life and the, the driving power that you want. Put down the word obedience. The word is obedience. Now, that's a part of it. To obey is better than sacrifice. And you've got to obey the Lord. Obey the Lord in the Word of God. Uh, study His Word. Obey Him in a matter of prayer. Obey Him in a matter of witnessing. Obey Him in, in worship. In all of it. And obey God. Just simply obey the Lord. And God will take care of you and will honor you and will bless you in every way. And uh, keep on continuing to work with Him every day. And remember that one day we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day we've got to give an account of ourselves unto Him. So serve God lovingly. And serve God willingly. And serve God unselfishly. And serve God faithfully. And know that one day we'll give an accounting when we come before it. Jesus is coming again. And when He comes, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of ourselves. I preached the other night in a funeral, uh, other day in a funeral service at the uh, beautiful cemetery at the foot of Lookout Mountain. And uh, I finished the, the graveside service. 
And uh, I shook hands with the family, and they went back to the cars. And I stood there waiting. And the undertaker stood on the other side of the, of the grave, the open grave. And they just placed the, the casket in the, in the grave. And uh, he stood there with me. In a moment, he came over to me. He said, Brother Robertson, I'm a Christian. I've been saved for 35 years. He said, I love the Lord. But he said, I'm going to be honest with you. I know nothing about the second coming of Christ. He said, I know nothing. He said, my pastor mentioned it once in a while, but not very much. And he said, I, I'm just curious. He said, uh, I, I read my Bible some, but not very much. Could you tell me about the second coming of Christ? I said, I sure can. We stood there for more than 30 minutes. I gave him the second coming. I talked about the coming of Christ, the rapture, when we're taken up. I talked about the judgment seat of Christ, the very soul of the Lamb. I talked about the great tribulation on the earth for seven years. I talked about the, the revelation of Christ coming down to this earth. I talked about the battle of Armageddon. Boy, he listened, he listened. We turned to Scripture and Scripture and read it. And he stood there and he said, for 35 years, I wonder, never, he said, never had courage to ask anybody. He said, I don't know how to study my Bible. Nobody told me. I didn't know. And I went on. Then I talked about the judgment seat of Christ and about standing before him. He said, oh, I can see that. And he said, that's something I need to, need to know about. And others need to know it too. Now, my dear friend, you need to know this. That one day we stand before him. And that ought to be a driving force to your life that sends you on and makes you do the thing God wants you to do and sends you forward day by day, day by day. Now, I've given all of this gratitude and uh, the matter of obedience and the matter of your awareness. Uh, all of these things that you're, you're, you're conscious of all of them. And that one day you're going to stand before Him. And you're aware of the things that are, that are going to take place. And you're saying, oh God, I want to be my best. I've just got one life to live. Just one. I want to give it to the Lord. I want to serve the best way I can. I, I must not waste my life. I must see the brevity of life. For what is your life as even a vapor appears for a little while then vanishes away. And we've got to see that life is brief. And you've got to say, oh God, I want to give my best all of my life to you. Amen. And this charges me up and sends me on. And, they, and let this drive be the driving force in your life. That helps you when you rise in the morning. Helps you in your prayer life, your family altar. Helps you when you think about Sunday morning coming to church. and Sunday night coming to church. Wednesday night for the prayer meeting. And that drives you on. I want to be faithful. I want to be my best for Christ every hour and every day of my life. And this is so important. So important. Folks are strange. And they're strange everywhere, of course. But I meet some that just, it, it, it stops me. I, I preached the other day in Richmond, Virginia, and had a beautiful Sunday morning service. Many were saved. A beautiful hour. And uh, I finished up the hour and uh, came out and went to, I started to go to my car. And uh, I stood there waiting for the pastor. And a man came out and uh, came up to me and began talking to me. And he said, I'm a deacon of the church. Well, I said, I'm glad to meet you, sir. He said, we had a great service this morning. Thank you for preaching. Thank you for helping us to win souls. And, you know, told, like I mean, told about the morning service. And he said, this is wonderful. And he said, we've got a great pastor and a wonderful church. And I'm so happy to be a part of it. I'm a deacon of the church. He went on and repeated that. And I said, listening. I, I stood there listening to him for a while. Then all of a sudden he changed. He said, uh, Brother Armerson, I want you to pray for me. He said, uh, I, I need your prayers. And I appreciate it so much. He said, I can't come to hear you preach tonight. I heard you this morning, enjoyed it very much, but I can't come back tonight. Oh, I said, I'm sorry, I, I wish you'd be with us tonight. He said, no, I can't make it tonight. He said, I'm going on a hunting trip at 5.30 this afternoon with a group of my friends. We're driving the car and be going for a number of miles on a hunting trip, 5.30 Sunday afternoon. And uh, I wish you'd pray that we'd have safety. I said, sir, I can't pray for you at all. 
I couldn't pray for him. I couldn't pray for a Christian man, a deacon to the church, when going on a hunting trip. I said, no, sir. I said, you're out of line. You're out of the will of God. I said, no man should pray for you in the thing. I pray that God will speak to your heart and wake you up. But I'm not going to pray otherwise. Now, wait a minute. That's a strange thing. But people reason that way about going to church. Well, I don't think I'll go tonight. I'm not feeling as well as I usually do. So they stay home. And they fail to be in the place where God wants them to be. Now, you need to say to your Lord, I'm going to give you my best. I want to serve in my best way day and night. And I want to remember all the things. And I want to be aware I've got just one life to live. I want to be aware that I must not waste that life. I must see the brevity of life. And uh, I must see the fact that I'm going to stand before Him to give an account of myself to Him. I've got to give my best all the time. Now, a driving force to your life. Let me give one more. The fourth, uh, fourth driving force in the life. Now, watch you carefully. doesn't sound very good. But it's true. It is true and must be remembered. The fourth driving force in my life is the fact of hell. The fact of hell. My friend, if there's no hell, I wouldn't waste a single second preaching. I'd give it all up. If there's nothing else. But there is a hell. And Jesus said, Luke 16... And many places. He said there's a hell, a place of everlasting punishment. And that's a driving force on my part. And that's the reason I can rejoice when I see a boy saved, a little child saved, like here Sunday morning, saved out of hell. And older people getting saved. And this is Now the soul that sinneth it shall die. All men are lost and need Christ. And can be saved in one way by Christ. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save them that are lost. And in hell lift up his eyes. Luke 16, 23. The rich man lifts up his eyes. In hell, Jesus said. Jesus, he was in suffering and agony in hell. Now, the Bible speaks of it. And I've got to witness. I've got to witness. That's a driving force. I want to be in my church. I want to be faithful. I want to give my tithe. I want to love the Lord. I want to witness. I want to do soul winning like you folks are going out to do it. And keep in mind the fact of hell. And let that be the driving force of your life. As you go out to witness and give the story of Christ. People lost. And without Christ they go to hell forever and forever and forever. And we've got to give the message and tell them how they can be saved. And brought out of darkness into light. And brought unto the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And brought in touch with Him. And we've got to see that. The fact of hell. What an awful thing. Read it for yourself. Read Luke 16 again and again. Read it all the way through your Bible. But everywhere. The, the place of eternal separation and punishment. Forever and forever. Lost, lost, lost. And that drives me on. And this is a driving force of a life. If only I had one soul say, while I'm here with you for today, my dear friend, that's a victory. I mean, one little boy gets saved, or one little girl, that's a victory. Saved out of hell, saved to heaven. Saved out of an awful eternity of punishment, suffering in hell. And we've got to see that. I want folks to be saved. You young folks, listen to me. The other day, a man and his wife came into the office. He's a pastor of a church near Chattanooga. And with him was their 19-year-old son. They came in and sat before my desk, just about two weeks ago, and sat before my desk. And I greeted them. I shook hands with them. They were solemn. I mean solemn. Somber. 
And they didn't respond at all to any laughter or welcome. They just shook their heads and they were solemn. They sat down. And I said, uh, is there something I can do for you? And he said, Pastor, I hope there is. I want to tell you what happened. He said, about a week ago, my boy took my car and drove it around town. I gave him permission. He's 19 years old. It's my car. And he drove it around town and drove back up to the home where we live and parked the car in front of the front door. And as he sat in the car for a moment, waiting to get out before he came in the house, as he sat there, a friend of his came down the sidewalk. And he stopped and talked to my son. And then he looked in the car, and over on the seat, next to the driver's seat, on the seat was placed a new shotgun my boy had bought. And I helped him buy it. A new shotgun. And the friend standing outside the car on this side said to my son, he said, oh, you got a new gun? He said, yes, a new gun. He said, could I see it? My boy said, yes. He said, my son reached for and picked up the gun and brought it across his body and handed out the window to the boy on the outside. And when he did, the gun went off and shot the boy's head off. Killed him instantly. Instantly. He said, arrested my boy. Put him in jail. Had a trial. He said he wasn't guilty. The gun was defective. And should not have exploded, but it did. And uh, nothing could be done, so the boy's free. And he said, we came to you to ask you to pray for us. Nobody wants us. I'm pastor of the church. He said, if my boy walks in the church now, in the last service, the people moved over to one side, wouldn't get to sit near him. He said, when he went back to school, they openly told him they didn't want him back. He's senior in high school. Senior in high school. And said, we prefer you not come at all. He said, we're embarrassed. We don't want to do. And he said, Brother Robertson, I believe my boy's innocent. And I talked to the boy, and he said, Yes, sir. I didn't know a thing about the gun. I'd had it. Uh, I bought it, and I didn't know anything wrong with it. And uh, had him a car. I handed the boy, and it went off and killed him. And they told the whole story. And we had prayer together, and I did help him. He's now pastoring another church. He left that one, had to go to another place. And uh, nothing else he could do. And the boy had to go to another school to finish up his work. And uh, 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 they, they left, and they were gone. But wait a minute. That wasn't all of it. There's something I couldn't ask them. I could not ask them. I was ashamed to even try to say anything about it. That boy standing outside the car who asked to see the gun, this boy, 18, 19 years old, asked to see the gun. And the gun moved across the car, out the window, and shot his head off and killed him. Was he saved or lost? And I didn't have the courage to ask no time to repent. No time for anything. He's gone like that. In a second time, he's dead. Less than a second. And I could not ask him. And I've thought about 10,000 times. I mentioned here to you because you're a long ways from the location. And that bothered me. But wait a minute. The eternal need of the soul. Christ Jesus. Christ the only Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the driving force. Now visit people, knock on doors, talk to people, tell people they're lost. They can live in the most beautiful home in your city and they still go straight to hell. The trial of O.J. Simpson is not as serious as salvation is. We make a big to-do about that. A big to-do about that. 
And I'm not going into that part of it, my thought about it. But that's the way we think today. But one is so lost. And this should be the driving force of your life. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to witness to them. I want to give them a message of salvation. For he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. I want people to be saved and born again. I've been a pastor in all of these years. Pastor in one church, 40 years, six months. Someone came up to me some time ago when I was still pastor and said, Brother Robertson, here's a card giving the name of Mrs. So-and-so. She lives on Missionary Ridge. That's about a mile from a mile, mile and a half from the church. And uh, her husband died last week. They were quite wealthy people. He died last week and she's up there alone. Said, I know she's not saved. I'm pretty sure she's not saved, not a Christian. And said, would you please go to see her? She's lonely in that big, beautiful home. Husband gone. And said, I don't think she knows a thing about the Lord. Would you please go in? I said, I sure will. And they gave me the card. I put it in my pocket. When I got home that night, I did what I did for a lifetime as a pastor. I carried my notes in my side coat pockets. I'd take them out. I'd put them on my, on my desk. I'd say, now, I'll see this one tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. I'd have everything outlined. I knew what I was going to do the next day. I took the name of that lady on the card and put it on my desk. I said, now, I'm going to see that lady tomorrow. She's doubtless unsaved. I'm a witness to her. And I'll go to see her tomorrow. But in the course of my study of that evening, my books and Bibles got over that note and covered it. The next day, I didn't see it. It was covered by books and Bibles on my desk. I didn't go. And it stayed there. And two weeks went by. And one day, I'm moving everything around on the desk. And if you know anything about a pastor's study, his private study, I have books and Bibles and notes all over the place, scores of things. And I uncovered the whole business. And there on the desk was the name of the lady on Missionary Ridge that I'd promised to see the next day. And two weeks had gone by. I took it off my desk and put it on my desk pen. You know how they stick up in front on the stuck on my desk pen. I said, now tomorrow I'll go to see that lady. I give him a promise, Lord. I'll go to see her tomorrow. Next morning I got up, went to the front door of a home I lived down on Bailey Avenue. I picked up the morning newspaper early, 6.30 in the morning. I carried the newspaper back in the house, unfurled the paper, and on page one was a picture of a lady. A lady who had walked in the home the night before into a closet, tied a rope around her neck, other end around a rod in the closet, lifted her feet off the floor. They found her dead, choked to death. I went back to my desk in the back, and the name was on that card I'd had there for two weeks. I promised to see her. I didn't see her. I promised I'd go, but I didn't go. I failed. And that haunts me. My failure haunts me. Saved or lost, every evidence I could find for anybody, but she never saved. I talked to friends, talked to neighbors. No evidence of any salvation. And yet I should have gone. I, I didn't go. I could have gone. And maybe I would have led her to the Lord. I don't know. But I could have gone and given the gospel. And I failed to go. And it troubled my heart. My dear friend, this is the fact we've got to see, the fact of hell. And this should drive us on. The driving force in your life. Oh, let God send you on. And let God use you to win precious souls to a loving Savior.
I remember walking through the hospital at Erlanger Hospital, Chattanooga, a big hospital. And a nurse stopped me and said, Brother Robertson, we just brought a man in back there in room 412. I said, would you go to see him? He said, I, I, that old thing is going to live long. He had an awful accident. And she said, would you go to see him? I said, I sure will. I rushed on back there. When I stepped in the room, on the other side of the bed stood Dr. Bibbs, a medical doctor friend of mine. And he walked around the bed when you saw me and said, uh, Pastor, he needs you more than he does me. I can't do a thing for him. That man had been riding a motorcycle on Brainerd Road in our city, coming into the city. And he rode his motorcycle down the road. The front wheel hit a hole in the pavement and threw him over the handlebars. When he landed on the street, a truck came along and ran over his body. Crushed almost every bone in his body. He was lying there in that bed. And the doctor walked out, left me there. I walked over to him. I said, sir, can you hear me? And a hoarse, faint whisper came, yes, I can hear you. I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not. I said, this is the time to be saved right now. He said, I know it is. I began quoting scripture to him. I gave him the word of God, told him how to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I kept on. I said, I'm going to pray. When I finished praying, if you'll take Christ, give me your hand. I prayed. He raised his hand the best he could from the side of that cot, that cot and took my hand and said, Preacher, I'll take him right now as my Savior. I said, God bless you. You're trusting. He said, I'm trusting Christ. I'm saved by faith in him. I said, God bless you. I prayed, I prayed for him. I left there. He died before I left the hospital that day. He was that near death. He was gone. A couple of days went by. The Saturday morning came along. Had a phone call from Dalton, Georgia. Dalton, 30 miles from Chattanooga. The capital center of the world, as you know. And uh, carpet center. And uh, I, I, I had the phone call from Dalton. On the other end of the line was a, a lady. A rather timid lady. She said, Dr. Robertson, somebody told me that you talked to a man who was injured on a motorcycle. I said, yes, ma'am. I did. She waited a long time. Then she said, Brother Robertson, tell me. What did he say? I said, ma'am, he said, I am now trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And when I said that, a scream came up. You could have heard it 30 miles without a telephone. That lady screamed. She screamed and screamed and shouted and rejoiced. And finally she stopped. And Brother Robertson, you'll never know. I married that man four years ago. I'm a Christian. And said he was unsaved. My family said, you better not marry him. He's not a saved man. She said, no, I'm going to marry him. We'll lead him to the Lord. And they got married. She said, I guess I'll witness to him every day. And said, the other day, he was coming to Chattanooga on his motorcycle, 30 miles into Chattanooga. I went out and stood at the motorcycle, put my hand on his hand on the, on the handlebar. I said, husband, I want you to be saved. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He died to save you. He said, honey, I'm not quite ready now, but I will someday. Then she said he came to Chattanooga. I heard nothing. She had no message coming until he was dead. The call came and said, your husband was killed in an accident. That's the first thing she had. Said my heart was broken. And said for hours, hours, I've been in, in anguish. That lost husband. I tried, but he was lost. And then somebody told me that you talked to him. And that I should call you, and I called you. And you've given the message. And she said, that's the happiest message I've ever heard in my life. 
that he was saved before he went home. Now wait a minute, my friend. The importance of winning people. The fact of hell. The driving force in your life. Think of it. What is it? What is it that sends you alone? What is it that makes you faithful to the Lord? What is it that keeps you coming to church and reading your Bible and praying and witnessing? A driving force to win people to Christ, to obey the Lord, to do what God says with your life. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNBBC.com for Christian music you can trust.